Now I'm going to request um, Dr. Jairaj, Dr. Aziriad Jairaj to come and read the scripture portion from Ephesians. And after which I would request Brother Joseph to come and bring God's word. And I would also request him to conclude the session, the service with a closing prayer and benediction. The scripture portion is taken from uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 onwards. By grace through faith. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dr. Jairaj, for reading the scripture portion for us. I stand here and uh, to acknowledge God's faithfulness to each one of us. Such a joy to be here to share the Easter message. I'm not worthy, but I pray to God to speak through me, you know, what he's going to uh, tell us this morning. It's a very special day uh, as we all celebrate uh, Christ's Resurrection Day. How many of you uh, would like to read a biographies? You know, ah, good. You know, uh, uh, reading a biography gives a very good, interesting reading. I, when I was a small kid, I used to read a lot of biographies. Uh, some of the biographies still, you know, uh, remain in my memory. A biography about, a biography about Sadhu Sundar Singh. Very exciting story. You know, my, many biographies have been written about very famous personalities like in the politicians, sports people, the music legends, and even uh, the religious leaders. And if that person, you know, about whom the biography is being written is not alive, uh, usually uh, a chapter is dedicated about his death, you know, uh, the, how he died, you know, uh, maybe a death, maybe a cruel death or accidental death. Uh, or he was uh, killed uh, because uh, this is, you know, giving an interesting story uh, to end it in a good way as a, you know, biographer when he writes such biographies. You know, some of the major, you know, very famous uh, personalities on, 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 
you know, on whom the biographies were written. Uh, how many of you read a biography of on, uh, Stephen, uh, Steve Jobs? Uh, yeah, great. Steve Jobs, the Apple Computers uh, founder. And a Diary of a Young Girl, uh, Anne Frank. Yeah, excellent. And, uh, you know, uh, A Long Walk to Freedom, Nelson Mandela. You know, it's, oh, oh. Shant has read many of them. And, you know, uh, biography of Dirish Bonhoeffer. It's very interesting, you know, German pastor, how he, you know, stood against the Nazi uh, regime in Germany. And also autobiography of Mein Kampf, uh, My Struggle, uh, written by uh, the Hitler, you know, and My Experiments with, tru by, with Truth by Mahatma Gandhi. They were, you know, great personalities, you know, some were notorious and people remember them for their notoriety and some were really did a good job. And we remember them for that. Uh, but you know, the one point I would like to make here is none of these biographies discuss or suggest that these great men came to, you know, they were born in order to die. It is true for Mahatma Gandhi, uh, Buddha, Mandela, and many other stories. None of them, in none of the biographies, suggest that these people came in order to die. They were born into this world in order to die. We have four gospel accounts about Christ. Uh, how do you classify this? Are they biographies? Are they uh, an account about you know, how he lived, how he you know, did his ministry on this earth? Uh, from the gospel account, it is evident that the purpose of Jesus Christ coming into this world is clearly stated not only by the authors, by the person himself, Jesus Christ himself said, I've, I've come into this world in order to die. Does it hold a good, you know, biographic uh, story? In other words, if we have to write the story of Jesus Christ today, will it sell? I want to put it in a different way. We are in the 21st century. The incident happened about 2000 years ago. Is the story of Jesus Christ still relevant for us? Frankly speaking, you know, we all are good evangelical Christians. We all will say, yes, yes, but go out into the world and try to preach about God, about Jesus Christ, and try to tell them this person came into this world 2,000 years ago and did miracles, and he died in order to come again and get, you know, he came back to life and he's living there. People will say, oh, no, we are not interested in this story. You know, we are living in this world, which is, you know, we all know the major developments happened in the last 50 years. You know, the technological developments, uh, the people start to, to think very differently. You know, uh, the, the, the world, uh, which was 2000 years ago, is completely different from what we live now, you know, uh, with uh, innovations and technological developments is taking place rapidly. Every one hour, a new technology is being launched. Every one hour, a new application, new app is being developed. You know, when we go and talk to these people who are you know, out in the world, who are so-called intellectuals, when you try to sell this story about Jesus Christ, how many of them are going to buy this story. 
You know, ask a youngster who is currently in the high school, this is the reality, you know, who are in the universities, who are in the campuses, and try to talk to them about Christ's love. Maybe out of 100 people, maybe one person is willing to listen, and he may not be willing to believe what you say, but, you know, there is, that, that is the stage, or that is the status we are in. The whole world is going through rapid digital transformation. You know, your thoughts and your behavior is controlled by machines. The technologies like artificial intelligence, you know, the way how you behave online, people are watching, you know, the social media is playing a major role in our lives and the way we think, the way we dress, the way we conduct our business, conduct our behavior. In this developed world, when you try to sell the story about Jesus Christ, is it making any sense to the people out there? This is a challenge we'd like to see. I'm going to quickly go through four points here <clears throat> about Jesus Christ. And we will see what does Easter 2022 mean to you and me? Are we here to just be a good Christian, sing good songs and be comfortable and go out? And if somebody is walking up to you tomorrow and asking you about Jesus Christ, are you in a position to tell about his love in a meaningful way, which will make sense to the people out there. Four points. Jesus is beyond timeline. Uh, let me start the statement. You know, uh, we say, I talked about biographies, the bestsellers, the all-time bestsellers till today is, you know what? The Holy Bible. In, in spite of all the theories, in spite of all the theologies, in spite of all the, you know, the, the religions, still the best-selling book is, has been the Bible. What is unique about the gospel account about Jesus Christ? You know, all the four books talk exclusively about what he did, what he said, how he preached, his miracles and his parables, sermons, etc. But all along, the story has been driving towards the death of Christ, you know, the essential plot line of any bi good biography is to bring it to climax, the highlights about the person, how he died. But the authors of the gospel went one step ahead to quote what the main character says about himself, about his own death and subsequent resurrection. You know, uh, that uh, if you look at the Jesus ministry on this earth, the total length of the ministry was about three, three and a half years. He knew his purpose of coming into this world and he has to educate his disciples about his purpose. Three years is a very short period. You know, many of us come to do the degree course. The three years just runs off like that. Even COVID time, the most of us you spent at home. You, you hardly realize how quickly the three years period passed on. The Jesus Christ came into this world to do his ministry for three, three and a half years. And everything was happening so quickly. He was preaching from one, he was traveling from one place to another, sharing the good news. And uh, the six, sick people were getting healed. Many people started following Christ. And in the process, the disciples were getting trained for the future ministry. But all this while, in the, uh, in the, at the back of his mind, Jesus Christ was trying to sell home the idea to the disciples about 
one day is going to move away from this place. And you are the one who is going to carry out my ministry. If you look at Matthew chapter 16, you know, this is the setup. Jesus is sitting along with his uh, disciples. He's asking them, you know, what do people think about me? What do the people say about me? And specifically, you know, some people saying, so they are saying they are Elijah. Some people are, you're a great man. You're a great preacher. And he's specifically asking Peter, what do you think about me? You know, Peter confesses that, Lord, you're son of God, the promised Messiah, the one we've been waiting for long, long time. Matthew 16, 21, if you look at this uh, recording, the Matthew is clearly saying from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised too. He himself is saying, I'm going to be killed. The hero, the person, the Messiah who has come to save them, he himself is saying, no, I'm giving up. I'm going to be killed. On third day, I'm going to be raised. They don't want to listen to this story, the sob story. It was a shock to the disciples. They expected them to lead a revolt against the Roman Empire, the Roman the atrocities. They wanted him to lead from the front in order to free the people of Israel from oppression. When he said, I'm going to be killed, Peter took him aside. Lord, what are you talking? How can this happen? Everything is going very well. You're doing amazing ministry. People are coming in flocks. People are getting healed. We are having an exciting time. This is not the time to talk about death. And Jesus you know, scolded him, get behind me, Satan. Jesus knew what his purpose of coming into this world was. But Jesus kept reminding time and again about his purpose of coming into this world, which disciples failed to absorb, they failed to understand. The basic central theme of the scripture, particularly the gospel, is that Jesus came into this world for a specific purpose. Sometimes the small daily events, you know, add up and present a larger picture. You know, small, small little events add up and becomes a creator history. Uh, okay, uh, I can quote an example. Uh, Richan Raman. Don't get shocked. When Raman, you know, uh, proposed to you with a rose or with a ring, and you, know, you remember that day, right? Then after that, you were exchanging gifts, writing letters, and you one fine day you got married. And when you look back, all those small, small events was presenting a big picture. You know, God made both of you and brought you together. And this is your God's sovereign plan. So small, small events add up to create history and present a big picture in our lives. Jesus Christ, you know, the recorded history of three and a half years, his ministry presented in the gospel is only, a, you know, a glimpse of the larger plan God has for you and me and for the entire mankind. Jesus Christ is beyond four gospels. That's what I said. Jesus Christ is beyond timeline. This was a story which started to make impact on the people of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and beyond.
We are 2000 years now, it's still trading. Three, three and a half years of ministry on this earth by Jesus Christ is still going on. Jesus Christ is beyond timeline. Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The second point is Jesus is beyond the curse of death. Jesus was not a sad victim or mistake in the history, but he was a willing sacrifice. You know, we, when we look at it, the picture, you know, he's almost given up. He's going to be died. You know, he's going to be killed. And uh, the story is not so exciting. You know, the people who started to write, already he's decided, you know, he's going to die. That's why this biography is very strange. The biography about Jesus, the gospel accounts. Look at Jesus puzzled them when you, uh, when, uh, in John chapter 10, 17, 18, Jesus puzzled his uh, disciples by saying, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This is the command I received from my father. Isn't it confusing? Or the people who are listening to this, what is he saying? He has a command to take his own life and you know, it is at his will, he can do whatever he wants. Here, I would like to highlight the point. Jesus died not as a martyr, but as a sacrifice, a willing sacrifice. He was obedient to do the will of God and he humbly submitted himself to the divine purpose of the father. So whenever Jesus talked about his suffering and crucifixion on the cross, the disciples tried to brush it aside. You know, they didn't want to hear a very, any sad stories now. They were expecting some grand way of starting a revolution and looking for a dynamic leader who, who can lead the Israelites into revolt and to ultimate freedom. They didn't want to see that the savior is a sufferer or a loser. When we watch a movie, you know, we all would like to see the thriller you know we always wanted the hero to crush the villain the bitter the battle we it, it it feels more satisfying the paisa also you know we call it you know we go and see one excellent you know plot line and it's a grand victory for the hero here the hero is telling his disciples his followers he's going to suffer and die a cruel death at the hands of his people the disciples were re resisting to, the, to, the, to this view, and they didn't want to hear from Jesus any kind of sad stories, and because they wanted their leader to be popular and powerful. Even when Jesus was arrested the night before he was betrayed, you know, when he was being dragged away, his disciples were still hoping, you know, something is going to happen. You know, one of them picked up the sword, you know, tried to slash that one of the attackers. You know what Jesus said? Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Matthew chapter 26, 50 to 54. Jesus was only doing God's will, the will of God. It looked like, you know, it's a meek surrender. It's already given up the fight. People were still hoping at that point of time, something is going to happen because we know this Jesus Christ is doing so many miracles and he's talked about the son of God 
And even at the last stage, something is going to happen. So when Jesus was on the cross, from the worldly point of view, he looked defeated, crushed, destroyed forever. His teachings and sermons and parables didn't make any sense to the people who listened to him earlier. The people were, who were close to him deserted him and ran away, including his disciples. When Jesus Christ uttered the word, it is finished while hanging on the cross. The people of this world, his enemies thought it was a cry of defeat. It was a cry of desperation. And he was in the process of giving up. But only the heavenly father and Jesus himself knew it was a victorious declaration that the bondage of sin is finished for all, finished forever. The mission has been accomplished. It is making a new beginning for the mankind. The Ephesians, uh, the, the uh, passage, passage which was read to us, Ephesians chapter 2, Apostle Paul is you know, mentioning about two groups of people. The first group or those who were dead in the transgression, it's a description is given about a kind of people Paul is trying to address. Uh, he's talking about uh, the people who are dead in discretion, uh, transgressions and sins, follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. They were gratifying the cravings of the flesh. It's identifying, you know, many of the present generation the present people who are living in this present world in gratifying the cravings of the flesh. That is what exactly happening. The people who crucified Jesus Christ belong to this group. You know, the Roman soldiers and authorities such as uh, Pilate, Caiaphas, uh, Jews who are shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And those who are turning, they were turning the blind eyes to the teaching of Jesus, even failed to see the miracles Jesus performed even in front of their eyes. The priests, high priest, the Pharisees were also part of this group. My sincere hope is that we don't belong to this group. People who are followers of this world and who are trying to gratify the cravings of this flesh are the kind of people he's mentioning, Paul. Yes, very much identical to the present generation who are living in this world. The second group of people who were those who shouted Hosanna, Hosanna on Palm Sunday, or those who followed him, thronging to listen to his sermons, those who heard him and followed Jesus wherever without any fear or any discrimination. The women who were at Golgotha belonged to that group. You know, the women, they consistently followed him. You know, the, the, the recordings of the Bible says, you know, consistently they were there. Even Jesus addresses them when he was on the cross. Or people like Simon the Serene, who was fortunate enough to carry the burden of cross and uh, towards Golgotha. The robber who was on the cross, who openly declared Jesus as son of God and saved himself from eternal uh, condemnation. Even Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus, who risked their lives on the intervening day between Good Friday and Easter, they took permission for the body to be prepared for, to give a decent burial. All these people identified Jesus as the savior of this world. Do we belong to this group? I'm going to talk about the third group of people a little later. Can we say, Lord, come what may, we will not leave you. 
even we are prepared to die. There are hundreds and thousands of testimonies available to us about the missionaries and servants of God who went into very difficult situations and lived a life of testimony, even in the worst of situations. These people cry, recognize Jesus, that the cry of Jesus, it is finished, is not a cry of defeat, but a victorious shout to usher in a new beginning. The third point I would like to make here is, Jesus is beyond the grave. The biographies would uh, dedicate a page about, a, about the death of a person, which normally forms the concluding chapter, you know, to bring in the climax to the story. But the gospel story does not end on Good Friday. You know, it carries on. It is a continuing story. The grave could not contain the savior of the world. Easter is all about the newness brought, in, brought through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ into our lives on the cross and his resurrection on the third day. All of the New Testament writers focus equally on the resurrection of Lord Jesus. The resurrection accounts are rich and diverse. At the same time, there were many false theories, you know, trying to divert the attention of the people claiming it was a mass hallucination or a crowd frenzy, a mob frenzy. You know, uh, when we talk about mass hallucination, I am reminded of a story. Some years ago, I think probably it's the late 90s, there was a story about a monkey man in Delhi. You know, how many of you remember? Suddenly there was a, you know, stories appeared in all the newspapers, a monkey man is attacking people, especially in the older part of Delhi. You know, the people believed it. The, the main channels, the television channels, you know, dedicated a lot of time at the prime time to show about it. They all they said was a monkey man comes in the night and attacks people and vanishes. And the next morning pages, people are telling the stories, stories, it attacked me. They're showing some kind of, you know, uh, injury up, upon themselves. And after a week, you know, they thought, you, you know, they, it, it was disproved. This kind of a, this is an example of mass hallucination. And also another, another time, one fine morning, they found all the idols started drinking milk. You know, in Delhi, in surrounding areas, in, it spread to the North India as well. Later on, it came to know it was a false thing. Mass hallucination is a people, a group of people believe certain things and come to some kind of a conclusion. But later on, it proves a false so the, when Jesus Christ rose again, tried, people were trying to tell, you know, this is, the people, the people are crazy people. They're thinking about something. There is nothing happened like that. They, they are having this mass hallucination. And also there were some, you know, theories about swoon theory. They said somebody stolen the body and, you know, and he was not, he never died after that. You know, he was able to revive himself with some, you know, herbs or something like that. He escaped to Kashmir. And there are, there are theories about, you know, conspiracy theory. Despite all these attacks, the love of Christ, the teaching of Christ is spreading far and wide. Spread far and wide in, during early days, it's still going on. So he appeared to ones and twos after he, you know, rose again. He appeared to as many as 500 at one time. He appeared to the apostles more than once. He appeared, to, appeared in locked rooms. He appeared on the seashore. And he ate some fish too. Even skeptic, skeptics like 
Thomas was convinced about Jesus' resurrection. Many of us are like Thomas. Unless we see the miracles in our lives, we don't believe. I would like to give a benefit of doubt to uh, Thomas here. He portrays the picture of many of us. You know, he wanted to uh, be doubly sure about the resurrection. He didn't want he didn't want get duped. He had believed that Jesus was Messiah, you know, and he was a follower, and then he died. It didn't make any sense to him. He was lonely. He was scared, probably hiding in some place in Jerusalem. He didn't want to believe someone, someone else's account. Exactly one week after Jesus resurrected, he appeared to the disciples in the closed room. Unfortunately, Thomas was not there. When he came to know from his fellow uh, brothers, Jesus came and spoke to us. He didn't say, you know, he didn't believe at all. He said, no, 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 unless I put my fingers, uh, it's recorded in John 20, 25. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into, in, in, into his side, I will not believe. So I talked about two kinds of people. Now, the third kind of people are the followers of Christ. The disciples belong to this group who once left the profession to follow Jesus, who spent more than three years with him and watched him closely and also were actively involved in the ministry along with Jesus. But when the time came, they all deserted and went away. So they are, you know, belonging to third kind of people. They were critical time. You know, when Jesus, Judas came with soldiers to arrest Jesus on that night, the disciples ran away. They deserted Jesus. We know about Peter, you know, who failed. You know, even he, he was, you know, he, he didn't want to identify himself with Jesus Christ, he said, I don't know him, completely denied him. Even the disciples, many disciples didn't want to associate with him. They all vanished. They all ran away from that scene. When Jesus said he would rise again on the third day, none of them believed. Had they believed, they would have expected something to happen in their life. They didn't take him seriously. All his warnings and messages went unnoticed. The events took place on Friday, shook these people, and they were terrified, lost all their hopes. They were fearing for their lives. But on Sunday morning, everything changed. And when Jesus appeared once again for the sake of Thomas, exactly a week after that, Jesus told them, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand put it into my sight, and he said, stop doubting and believe. Thomas replied, my God, my Lord. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a central theme of our faith, the basic foundation of Christian church. Apostle Paul in his letter to Corinthians church, First uh, Corinthians chapter 15 says, you know, he starts off like this, the first importance, you know, in verse three, and he goes on to say, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and spends the rest of the chapter talking about Jesus Christ's resurrection and his appearance to many. In verse 14, he says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. It was written 2,000 years ago. If Christ wasn't raised, our sitting here and worshiping and singing all become waste. Our faith stands on the very fact that Christ is risen. 
and he's risen indeed. And chapter, second chapter, Ephesians, which was read to us, verse 4 says, but, you know, he's talked about the first group of people from 1 to 3. And before starting the fourth verse onwards, he's, the, the writer puts the word, but, he's saying, everything is different. Now, there is a hope, a window of opportunity available to all of us. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. What a comforting verse. It is by grace we have been saved. Do we belong to the third group of people? At times we are not able to live up to the expectations. Somewhere down the line, we, you know, we don't measure up to the, in, the, in our faith and fully put our trust on him. The love and mercy of God is unfathomable, incomprehensible. He loved us so much, he gave his only begotten son as an atoning sacrifice on the cross. The scripture says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Apostle Paul writes that this is the gift from God, freely available to everyone who puts their trust on the living Savior. You cannot earn it by work. But by simply putting your faith on Christ, it is so simple. The cross made it easier for us. When Jesus gave us, gave up his life on the cross, that very moment, the barrier between the mankind and the Father God has been removed. The curtain at the temple tore from bottom to down, from top to bottom, symbolically giving access to common man, to the holy God. What a privileged people we are. We are so privileged indeed to celebrate Easter on this day. He has taken upon himself all sins and our shame so that we can be victorious in this world. So the empty tomb on Easter Sunday morning is, it, uh, is a reiteration of God's statement on the cross. It is finished. Which means it is fully paid. Our sins are forgiven. We are starting a fresh uh, new beginning. The story started 2,000 years ago still carrying on through us. Each one of us are instrument to carry this message forward. If you're facing some opposition, pray and commit and tell about God's goodness to the people around you. That is what God is expecting us. The last point is Jesus' eternity. Before we close, I would like to ask the question to myself and each one of you. In this present world, which is full of skepticism and deceptiveness, do I need a spectacular revelation from God to put my complete trust in, on him? This challenging question. I would uh, read it again. <clears throat> in this present world, which, which is full of you know, different theology, different teachings, uh, uh, full of skepticism and deceptiveness, do I need a spectacular revelation from God to put my complete, complete trust on him? Do you expect God to touch you or uh, open his mouth and speak. You want to hear his voice. Or Lord, perform a miracle. Unless you do something, I won't believe. Are we asking this question? Like Jesus Christ revealed himself to the disciples, more particularly to Thomas. Standing here, I can testify that my God, my Savior is real to me in my life. He may not answer me through his voice. But I know he listens to my every cry. He may not remove my trials and temptation in this world. But gives me enough strength to 
withstand the trials and temptations that come in my way. He may not heal my sickness completely, but he is going to give me ability to stand and stay as a witness through the pain and suffering. He's a sovereign God. He knows what is best for us. He is living and loving God. When Thomas called Jesus, my Lord, my God, Jesus has something to say, had something to say to him. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So we are those privileged people. We are blessed people because we don't want, Lord, I don't want to put my hand on your hand, you know, my finger on your hand to feel you are the real God who died for me. But I know, Lord, whenever I call, whenever I kneel down and pray, you are there to answer my prayer. You are giving me that peace, the kind of peace which passeth all understanding in spite of the busyness, in spite of all the chaotic conditions out in the world. But I put my trust. That is what is God expecting from all of us. Even though we don't see God face to face, we put our trust. Jesus Christ himself says, he said to Thomas, those blessed are those who have not seen and it have believed. Closing, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Sunday morning has started a new beginning for all of us who have put our trust on him. Easter, this Easter, let us remind ourselves that God has chosen each one of us to be part of his story. You know, our names will be mentioned in the autobiography Jesus is writing, himself is writing. We carry on this our spiritual journey let us fix our eyes on him who is the author and perfecter of our faith. We look forward for that day when Jesus is going to come back to take all of us to be with him forever. Jesus said, you know, in my father's home or many rooms, I'm going, to, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me that you will also be where I am. That is the hope we have, my dear brothers and sisters. As we celebrate Easter, Easter is not about festival. It's not about any, anything else. It's about God who came into this world and lived as a sinless person and he resurrected and he's going to come back to take all of us. So when Jesus said, it is finished, in Greek, tetelestai, that means the debt is, debt is fully paid. The battle is fully won. It is marking of a new beginning. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Everything is, all things have passed away. Everything is new. With that hope, can we move forward and ask our God, Lord, help us. In our times, we are like the third group of people. We, we decided to follow you. We committed to follow you at one point of time. But this journey is too strenuous, Lord. We are not able to withstand. We are you know, facing trials and temptation in our daily life. We need you each and every minute so that your coming to this world will be meaningful to each one of us and will live a victorious life. And the people who are out in the world will be able to see something different in us and will be an instrument of peace, instrument of encouragement to the people who are caught up in this you know, chaotic world and the worldly situation. Let's pray, committing this time. Bow down with me and uh, let us 
rededicate ourselves on this Easter Sunday morning, remembering God's sacrifice and his victorious coming into this world through resurrection. At the same time, we'll commit all our anxieties, all our iniquities, our worries upon God so that we'll be able to believe on him, not like Thomas, not like others who wanted a sign or a miracle from him, but when we believe in him, we are blessed one. That's what Christ expects from us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world, who lived as a sinless person, who set a model before us, Lord. The teachings are before us. The great example is before us. And he underwent the kind of cruel death because of our sins. He's taken upon himself all our curses, all our, Lord, punishment upon him so that we are free. Thank you so much for being such a wonderful God, a meaningful God, a loving God, a living God. Help us to come closer to you. Help us to follow you despite all our troubles in this world and live a victorious life. Thank you for speaking to us. Can you to encourage us? Can you to bless us? We, call, we ask all these things in the most precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us receive the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. Thank you. Have a blessed day.